to Totalus Rankium. This week, Richard Nixon. Part 2. Hello, and welcome to American President's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I am Rob, and this is episode 37.2. It's Richard Nixon, part two, and wait for it, Jamie, of huh? three. Of three? I had oh. no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, as as listeners will know, if you listen to this, you probably know, uh, I've been resisting going up to three episodes per president for a very long time, just because I really like consistency, and I like the idea of every president having two episodes. Um, so what but, changed your mind? I mean, you get, you get Washington down to two, and he's incredible, maybe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Rob is going off, so I'll make predictions this episode. Um, I think Nixon will be amazing, very successful, um, and rule the world. Hey, Rob. I could see your lips moving. No. Oh, okay. I, I noticed yeah, uh, the windows open, and the trains come through the window. Like, oh my goodness, you I need to get it. that sorted out. Got to keep the windows closed, otherwise those trains, they just keep coming. You really need to take out those rails. Yeah, consistency. I like consistency, but I realised writing up Richard Nixon Part 2, I was condensing so much that it was becoming boring. I think the episode was becoming like a Wikipedia article. Oh, no one yeah, wants that. So no, it's like, we need jokes and japes. Yeah, it needs a bit of room to breathe. So, yeah. you know what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, who cares about consistency? Name one thing that's consistent in the world. Uh, inconsistency. No, it's good. Ooh. I like it. So anyway, two or three. That's what it is. Let's uh, let's go into part two. Are you ready for an introduction? Fade in on somebody watching the last Hobbit film because that's what I finished watching yesterday. So the Battle Ooh. of Five Armies. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, right, it's black, you fade in, and uh, it's all in black and white. It's very arty, this shot. And it's just a close-up, extreme close-up of just someone's face watching uh, a screen. You can't see the screen, but the guy's wearing glasses, and you can kind of see in the reflection of his glasses. That's uh, like, he's watching something. And in his glasses, you can see the words The Hobbit in in reverse, because it's reflecting off his glasses. You know he's watching The Hobbit, because he's watching The Hobbit. Yeah. yeah, and he's there's a little tear in his eye because it's a bit emotional at the end there, isn't it? A couple of characters mm. have died. Yeah, Smaug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all very sad. Um, and it's then funny. just as the music is swelling, and you, and, and this guy he's he's about to settle into some good credit watching. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, there's a huge smash sound, and he jumps, and the camera pans up, but quickly, and you see. Almost in slow motion, the shards of glass hitting the wall as a whiskey glass just explodes against the wall. And the camera spins, pans around quickly, and there is a Richard Nixon shouting abuse across the room, throwing another glass of whiskey against the wall. He had two, why not? He is yeah. shouting things about how he's going to bomb this and destroy that, and and then how he's going to just, just kill everyone in the world. And then at this point, you just see some hands and arms grab Nixon and pull him away, saying, sleep it off, sir, sleep it off. And then the guy's looking a bit shocked, and he's, he just takes a breath. It's okay. And he turns back to the screen to watch the Hobbit film. But of course, this is the last Hobbit film that was uh, the original Hobbit films that were made. In the uh, in the sixties, 
So yeah. as it pans round, it is just some some people like just wearing like a sheet with the word Hobbit written <laughs> on it or something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I am yeah. a wizard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as as the credits roll in the old Hobbit film, uh, the very last credit comes up and says with special thanks to, and then it comes up as Richard Nixon, part two. It's all part Aww. of the credits. I, I think a bit, bit of a lazy ending there, I think. I'll, um, <laughs> yeah. You could have had a time travel element in there. That'd have been fun. Bring a bit of sci-fi fiction into it, but we'll, we'll roll with I it. Done. We'll I could have done. I feel like um, you were far more supportive of my opening credits at the beginning. I mean, I feel like the uh, critiques have become more focused and sharp. Yeah, I just don't like you as much anymore. Oh, that must be... We've been doing this for six years, Rob. <laughs> I'm sick of this. History, podcasting. I just wanted to end. You've ignored three cease and desist letters. <laughs> <laughs> Stop calling I'm still handcuffed this bloody computer. <laughs> okay, Nixon part two. We left Nixon, if you remember, at a low point. He had just... Yes. He had been defeated by Kennedy, so he wasn't the president. Uh, and then he tried to become the governor of California... And he was defeated there as well. He gave that very oh. embarrassing press conference and stormed off. And if memory serves, <laughs> we left him sitting in a chair, staring out of a window with uh, Lionel the Lemon on his lap, looking up as if to say... I forgot about the lemons! <laughs> <laughs> oh, In fact, I'm going to say at this point, uh, all our listeners who um, sent in photos of Lionel the Lemon, <laughs> um, they were amazing. Uh, there, there were lemons with beards, lemons with eyes and beards. Oh, there, there was just a lot of lot of Lionel love. They were going glorious. On. Yeah. So anyway, that's where we left Nixon. Uh, but life goes on. He's not going to sit there and wallow with Lionel his entire life. So he's got stuff to do. So he moves to New York. He's going to get away from California. He's been very embarrassed there. Uh, he's full of bitterness. He is off to New yeah. York. Down lefty liberals, he's thinking. That's what he's thinking, yes. And then he has a six-week holiday in Europe and the Middle East, where he meets various world leaders, which always cheers you up a bit. You're treated like royalty as you go abroad. Even though he's a (laughs) no-one. Exactly. I mean, not not like royalty royalty, just like one of the lesser lot royals that most people can't. Yeah, it's a three-star hotel. Yeah, most most of the public can't remember the name of you unless you have committed some kind of scandal. That kind of royal family yeah. member. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah. Anyway, Andrew. so six... What? <laughs> who? Uh, a six-week <laughs> holiday uh, in Europe. He cheers up a bit. Uh, and then he goes back to New York. He's walking through Manhattan one day when he hears the news. Probably a newspaper boy on the corner calling it out like they did in the olden days. No. What's the, what's the news? What year are we in? Are we sixty three. Yes, yes, we are. Is is it presidential news at all? It is presidential news. Yes. Does it come from? Does it stem from somewhere like Dallas? It Texas? does stem from somewhere like Dallas. Yes. Oh. Yeah. In um, fact, Dallas had uh, Dallas. But Nixon had been in Dallas just like the day before, if memory serves correctly. <gasps> that's not in my notes. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kennedy's dead. Kennedy is dead. <gasps> Oh, didn't see that coming. I know. Uh, yeah, this this woke Nixon up. Not literally. He <laughs> had been telling everyone that he's out of politics. No more. I'm done. Don't want to do this anymore. He probably believed it himself for a while. But mm. his biggest rival was no longer quite so much of a threat. <laughs> Suspiciously now gone. <laughs> so he mm. knew that maybe, just maybe, he might get a chance at the top job once more. However... 
if you remember, the uh, the upcoming election is actually not too far away. It's coming up within the year. So it, would he be able to jump on the boat to get to the 64 election? Um, probably not. In fact, the Republicans were in the middle of a battle between a man named Rockefeller. Don't know if you've ever heard of those guys. Uh, and mm. Goldwater. Big names in the Republican Party. Uh, so who's going to be the nominee, Goldwater or Rockefeller? That's the, that was what everyone was debating. And uh, using some backroom dealing, Nixon attempted to see maybe maybe he could just squeeze his way in there. Just, yeah. just maybe he could be a compromise candidate, maybe. Um, I know I said no, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Hey, guys, come in. No, no, no you've Hulk, already... Group hug. You've already decided oh. the machine's running. Uh, we can't stop the train. Okay, fair enough. There's no room in 64. Uh, but that didn't mean there wasn't going to be room for him. He was just a bit too late to join in at this hmm. point. Because the next election, well, as we saw, the Republicans were destroyed in the 64 election. <laughs> and uh, Nixon was one of the very few high-ups in the party who were not blamed. Because most people high up in the party, it's like, well, you... That's, that was your fault. We're a mess now. But Nixon, yeah. a step back. Not hey. my fault, Gov, he said. Hmm? Probably didn't use the word Gov. It's a bit too close to home after losing the governorship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just yeah. brings up painful memories. Yeah, exactly. So he bides his time. He's an up-and-coming Republican, if you can say that about a Republican who was the vice president for the Republican Party. He's in the wings yeah. is a better way of saying it. So Johnson's presidency pans out. The Vietnam War grows and grows. Martin Luther King is assassinated, as is Bobby Kennedy. And all these shocking events only help Nixon and his campaign, because he comes across as part of a potential stable administration, going back to stability, someone who knows what he's doing, firm hand on the rudder kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and what's going on now? It's nothing but chaos, war, assassinations, riots in the streets. So, yeah. It's Nixon, fella. Yeah. And you don't it's you don't it's at such a boiling point as well, where a president would have to leave halfway through his term as well. No, no, that would be awful. You want you want someone calm, collected. You it's Nixon or or it's chaos with Ed Miliband. So Nixon is able to get uh, the Republican nomination on the first vote this time round. So hmm. we skipped right forward to the next election here. Rockefeller no longer has the clout he had last time, and also there was this new governor of California knocking about some actor fella of the name of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> but, nah. Oh, I heard of him. Yeah, yeah. He, he He's in that cowboy, cowboy film, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, no, it is Nixon. He is going to run for president once more. And this time, he's not up against Kennedy. That would have been a turn up for the books if he was. Uh, he also <laughs> wasn't against Bobby Kennedy, because equally, that's not going to mm. happen anymore. Uh, the Democrats have gone for Herbert Humphrey. Not, I should say, Humphreys which I said last time, I got a few corrections about that. But what they didn't know is that there was actually more than one Herbert Humphrey, and I was actually talking about both of them. They were twins. Oh, there we go. Yeah, they were yep. twins, they oh. time-shared, it, it was fine. The Herbert Humphreys people would call them. See, don't those critics now feel really ashamed of themselves? Oh, it's okay, I'm not, I'm not blaming them, it's a little known fact. No. So, uh, I'm, not, I'm not here to like judge, I'm here to educate. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, okay. Good. Which one ran for the election then, Herbert or the other one? Oh, both of them. Oh no! Sorry, no. Last time it was uh, it was Herbert Humphreys, but uh, then one died, very tragic. So there's now only one Herbert Humphrey. Fair enough. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, one of the Herbert Humphreys was found over the body of the other Herbert Humphreys with a knife, saying, "I'd do it again, damn it." But 
But uh, he got away with it. But that's yeah, a story right. for another podcast. Well, yeah. an unsolved case. Yes. Anyway, uh, this is a rare occasion where, yes, you've got the Republicans and the Democrats, but you've also got a third party. Not had a third party for a while. That doesn't exist in the US. Oh, ah, yeah. No, no. This, this is the last time it happens properly. Uh, after this, it is purely two party. Um, it wasn't Kanye West again, was it? <laughs> no, not this time. No. But um, you're kind of close with the uh, the party. <laughs> uh, this was the American Independent Party. Uh, we don't have time to go into the American Independent Party, but they're as fun as you probably guess they're going to be. Well, uh, the acronym's APE. No, it's not. AIP, American Independence Party, APE. Oh, I was thinking APE, APE. Oh, no, yeah. I always well, spell AP, but they are, they're still their like, mascot and their motto and their costumes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, right, <laughs> simplification of the American Independent Party here. Uh, George Wallace, the horribly racist governor of Alabama that we came across in Johnson's episode. He was hmm. a horrible man. Uh, anyway, he, he led this party, and he ran on a simple platform of being racist. Ah, splendid. Uh, if you remember uh, in Johnson's episode, if I remember correctly, I said he ran on uh, an election saying segregation yesterday, segregation today, segregation forever. That, that was basically it. All pro-segregation. Uh, essentially, what this is, is a result of the Democrats supporting the Civil Rights Bill and losing the right. support of the racist wing of the party the Southern Democrats that we have been dealing with since the start of yeah. the podcast. And this is it. This is the Democrats. They have finally lost the South. Just as Kennedy and Johnson and many others predicted, uh, we can support civil rights because it's the right thing to do, and we will gain some support in areas, but we will lose the South. Sure enough, they do. Now, Nixon campaigned on crime and how the United States need to maintain a nuclear superiority. He dog-wrestled to the racist faction of the uh, the population, talking about law and order, but in a way that everyone knew he was talking about, like, yeah. you know, the yeah. black neighbours. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he didn't actually do this too much, because he didn't, there's no point, because with Wallace in the running, well, there's no point being racist to win votes, all the racists were going to go to Wallace. So, yeah. Point, yeah. So there you go. So instead, he talked big on other things, such as, I've got a plan. To end the war in Vietnam, he said. Ooh. To which, what do you think people said? No, you can't. Uh, no, no, they just asked him what the plan was. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To which What's he said, question? oh, no, no, I can't tell you. Hmm. Uh, actually, to be fair to Nixon, he did have a plan for Vietnam. Uh, it was to stop any chance of Johnson putting into place a ceasefire before the election to boost Humphrey. I do not want a ceasefire in Vietnam. I want the war to carry on until after the election. That was Nixon's Vietnam plan. Now, right. it's never been proven what I'm about to say, but it happened. It's <laughs> almost certain this is what happened. Uh, most historians agree it's just a case of you can't really get that smoking gun. It would appear that Nixon sent ambassadors to Saigon to convince the current president of South Vietnam to drag his feet over the halt of bombings of North Vietnam. In other words, don't try and put a ceasefire in. Uh, the current president is going to suggest ceasefire. You say no, drag your feet. Wait till Nixon's in charge and then you'll get a better deal from the Republicans. Now, this is very, very illegal. Uh, this is a private citizen negotiating with a country on behalf of the US for political gain. Yeah. 
yeah, this is the kind of thing that if you get caught doing, you should be immediately banned from running for office, or if you're caught after you're in office, impeached and thrown out. That's this. This is not on. You shouldn't be uh, doing this. But uh, it would appear he did. Uh, he's always come across as such an upstanding, honourable man. I, I know. Can't believe, uh, yeah, breaking such rules. I don't know why, but uh, he did it. Uh, again, I should say, never been proven, but he did it. Uh, Johnson found out and was furious. Like, I'm trying to get a peace deal in, and Nixon's trying to sabotage it. So he attempted to blow the whistle on Nixon. Fuck, this idiot's ruining our chances of getting out of Vietnam. But there was a problem, because Johnson had come across the information because of a tip-off. Because of that tip-off, they had then put Nixon's ambassadors and the president of South Vietnam under surveillance, including tapping the phones. Now, Johnson wanted to point the finger at Nixon, but didn't want to admit that he had tapped the phones of a war ally and a political opponent. It just doesn't look good. So they just left it. Okay, we'll just have to swallow this one and hope Nixon fails. Now, to cut a long election short here, uh, to a backdrop of riots over race equality, riots about the war, uh, assassinations, just general unrest, the country is not in a good way at this time. Uh, Nixon wins the election comfortably, uh, looking at the Electoral College anyway. Uh, Wallace got the Deep South, obviously, that was where he was going to win. Uh, Humphrey got Texas and most of the Northeast. Nixon got pretty much everywhere else. He got 301 Electoral College votes to 191 for Humphrey, and Wallace got 46. That is the best result for a third party, as in that's, uh, no one's beaten that since, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So that sounds good, doesn't it? But it hides yeah. the fact that actually Nixon got 31.7 million votes in total, and Humphrey got 31.2. It was actually really, really close in the, uh, yeah. the popular count, but it just, the way it worked out, Nixon comfortably won. Uh, but Nixon was aware of this. He was not happy. He thought, surely this time, it's not up against Kennedy, the, the people will realise how good he is. So actually he wins, but he's a little bit bitter about his victory. Yeah. <laughs> which is a shame. He's always moaning, isn't he, about something? He is always moaning. Do you think Lionel's there going, come on, cheer up? Yeah. With his eyes, Lionel obviously hasn't got a mouth, but with his eyes, he's like, yeah, yeah. cheer up, Nixon. Could be worse. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good lemon impression. Thank you. Yeah, that's all right. Do you think Lionel, although he's got no mouth, can still like hum slightly? Oh, and yeah. Make a... Oh, no, that sounds like he's a hostage. <laughs> well, we don't know. Could have been. So, anyway, uh, he's president. Nixon's done it. Hooray. Let's get into it. Okay. Obviously, biggest item on the agenda is communism. <laughs> it's the Cold War. The wall's up, West Berlin is surrounded. Also, we've got the Vietnam War raging on. South America also is a mess at the moment due to communist states and the United States intervening in the area and just trying to economically dominate it. Uh, China also is in the middle of a cultural revolution, devised by Mao. Sure, that's going well. Uh, so there's a lot going on <laughs> yeah. in the world. A lot of it is full of tension. However, that's the big picture. And Nixon realises, he's kind of a man who knows that as long as you get the little details sorted first, the big picture will follow. Something like that. That's, that's, that's what he thinks. That's how it works. Again, he's saying this to himself in the Oval Office, and Lionel's just in the corner. 
because they're corners Lionel's desperately wishing he had hands so he could do the like reverse <laughs> symbols like oh wrong way yeah. oh next <laughs> oh Richie I got it wrong again he thinks uh, anyway little things to be sorted Nixon was very annoyed that the fireplaces in the White House didn't roar right yeah, yeah. Nixon Nixon liked a good roaring fireplace. He liked nothing better Did than he? in an evening having a couple of drinks until he was smashed out of his face and listening <laughs> to soundtracks of uh, war films and just epic surging music. So that's what he liked to do. But apparently the fireplaces in the White House was just a bit tame, a bit weak, a bit whimpery. So he didn't like that. Other things that needed to be fixed in the country was the shower in the White House was too strong. So uh, let's get you on that. You can't have a too strong a shower, though. Well, I know. This is a clear sign that Nixon's got problems. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it, unless it's like pushing your feet through the bottom of the <laughs> bath due to water yeah. pressure. Yeah, there's no such thing as a too strong shower, surely. No. If you're not bleeding, it's fine. No, you want to feel the grease running out of your hair, terrified, just by the <laughs> Before sheer... Before you turn the shower on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the sight of the shower in the background. No. It just knows. But no, no, apparently it was too strong. Nixon, like nothing more than a weak, dribbly shower, obviously. And also, Johnson had made his Oval Office very high-tech. He had a row of TVs, each tuned into the major news stations, so you could watch all of them at once. Right, Nixon, Trump didn't do that. Well, I mean, this day and age, I'm sure he did. It was just much easier to install. Just That's get some true. iPads or something. Um, but yeah, this uh, this got moved. Nixon didn't like it. It was a bit too high-tech for him. And also, there was a, <laughs> a secret recording device in the Oval Office that was just recording everything. There was a switch that could turn off that, um, uh, that Johnson could use, so he could choose whether to record it or not. But no, Nixon went, no, I do not want all my conversations recorded. No, thank you. Get rid of yeah. that. So, out was, it all wasn't went. There a, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but it's something about Russia donated something. Like, this school donated this carving to the US. Oh, in some way. You know I, and they gave it over, and inside there's a like a tracking bug or something, or, or an audio yeah. recorder. I don't know how that's This This rings a right. bell. I've not come across it in my research yet, but that is something I've definitely yeah. heard. A bit like when uh, Putin gave uh, Trump that football. And everyone was like, oh, oh you, need to, <laughs> you need to rip that ball apart. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's no way that's not full of bugs. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, he revamps the Oval Office. I'm, I'm sure uh, he made a little tiny lemon desk for Lionel that sat on his oh, desk. I can only it has see. was like, like curved seats so it can sit in properly, like nestled in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he also oh, became man. obsessed with micromanaging the little details of the running of the White House, such as sending memos detailing exactly how much the waiters should be tipped at state dinners, how thick the steaks should be, and whether there was time for soup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> these, were the, these were the details that Nixon was focusing on in his first days of office, which is very interesting, <laughs> considering the world was going to hell in a handbasket. So Yeah, wow. But all this is harmless. If you call the most powerful elected leader in the world micromanaging the menu harmless, it's harmless. Yeah. But then there was his temper. Mm. That was less harmless. Uh, to be fair to Nixon, however, uh, he was very aware of his temper. He was very aware that he would fly off the handle and sometimes even issue orders he didn't mean. 
So right at the start, he, he told his aides <laughs> that, look, look, there's going to be some times where I'm going to shout things and tell you to do things. Just ignore me if you think I've gone too far, but make sure you tell me afterwards that you ignored me so I know what's been done. Which is just one imagine of... one of the aides just carrying a little silver box with a big red button on it and a plastic cover. It says nuclear <laughs> on the side. Like, I'll just put this over here. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, I, my office. I, I don't know whether to be uh, admiring or terrified of that. It's like the, the guy knows that he's going to go off the rocker and he's in charge of the nuclear codes. Um, hmm. So he tells people. <laughs> yeah. Rather than just thinking, right, well, I need to get a lid on this, then he just goes, yeah, well, it's going to happen. It's up to you Let guys to make sure I don't blow the world up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was right, by the way. He did absolutely do this. Uh, one day, in a fit of rage, he ordered that Damascus be bombed uh, just because he was angry at the news of a hijacking that happened of uh, American equipment. Uh, he also. So some people stole like a few cassette players. I, uh, Is that right? I, Bomb them to the ground. I'll be honest. <laughs> I have forgotten what the equipment was, but it was like expensive military equipment, uh, possibly like a plane right. kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> thinking, think more that than like the paper clips out the stationary carpet. Yeah. Fine, <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 a scale, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, spectrum. Um, of- yeah, exactly. But anyway, he ordered the bombing of Damascus. Uh, one time, he also ordered that all the personnel in Laos be fired, so all the ambassadors over there, just because. He was angry at what one of them had done. So that's it, you were fired then. Neither order was followed through, uh, much to Nixon's relief when he calmed down. So his aides did learn when to say yes and when to go, of course, sir, and yes, and keep nodding and then back out of the room and shut the door yeah. and then hear the whiskey glass smash on the door and then turn to each other and just go, we won't be doing that. Nope. No. Uh, I'm also going to put this here because it, it fits, although it didn't happened here or more to point it didn't happen at all uh there's a story <laughs> that is uh, very popular that nixon whilst drunk and angry ordered a nuke to be dropped on north korea the north korea shot down a spy plane the story is that he ordered uh, a nuke to be dropped on them uh, and apparently it was decided to wait till he was sober in the morning to see if he still wanted to do it that's now, a good idea. He, he even waited day after that so the hangover yeah, isn't yeah. yeah exactly yeah. uh now as far as i can tell this isn't true. Uh, I, I looked into it because this is one of these stories I, I've heard for years and never thought to actually look how true it was. So I went looking into it. The claim comes from one person who was a CIA Vietnam specialist who claims this happened, but no other evidence is there that this happened. And you would have thought something this big would have kind of leaked over time. Uh, it's still just yeah. this one person who says it happened, and that person's dead now, so we can't go and ask him again. So who knows? It's most likely not true, but Nixon getting angry and drunk and ordering things he didn't mean is well established, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility, but who knows? Anyway, <laughs> who knows? That's, that's how we're going. That's just a bit of background on how Nixon is when he's going into the White House. So... Knowing all this, it's time to tackle the big problem, the biggest problem of them all. <laughs> the fireplace is still, they still don't roar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Put Vietnam... a nuke in there. Yes, sir. Of course, sir. Of course. Back out. Back no, out. Not, not the roar, the war, the Vietnam War. That's what the big problem uh, is. It's a big one. Uh, Nixon was convinced that he could actually bring the war to an honourable end in a matter of months. He wasn't lying to the public when he said he had a plan. He did have a plan. 
he was just very overly confident about what his plan was. So here is the top secret plan. He would stall North Vietnam with tough talk. He would help raise South Vietnam up to make them stronger. And then he'd take his troops out. Yeah. Yeah, well, that worked good well for Afghanistan. So Yeah. Um, it also worked perfectly well for Johnson, because that's exactly what the previous president was doing and failing. But apparently Nixon <laughs> obviously thought Johnson just wasn't trying hard enough, damn it. Uh, so nice and easy, right? In the meantime, shout more. <laughs> well, in the meantime, Nixon was going to please people at home by stopping the draft, which is obviously yeah. going to please people. Yeah, right. Yeah. So all this sounds easy, yeah. And if it worked, um, it arguably would have been the right move, definitely. But as we see, uh, it didn't work. It obviously didn't work. It was never going to work. It's too complicated. Uh, many historians have pointed out that what Nixon and Kissinger should have done at this point is just pull out immediately. And yes, it would have been a knock to American prestige. Yes, it would have been awful to South Vietnam. But ultimately, like a band-aid being ripped off quickly, it probably would have worked out better. But hindsight, mm. eh? And oh, yes, you might have noticed I just dropped a name in there. Kissinger. Oh, Henry yes. Kissinger. Need to introduce you to the new national security advisor. It's Henry Kissinger, a man who we will be hearing a lot of. Uh, he's already had an impact on our story so far. He's been in the background, and I've not had a big enough reason to like bring him to the fore. But he, he's becoming a major player now, so it's time to bring him in. Uh, there's a slight <laughs> chance, although it's not been confirmed, that he lives in a volcano there somewhere that's been abandoned for oh. some time. Uh, oh. with just and, few... and loads of loads of rabbits on the yes. outside. Wild rabbits have just suddenly just, been, you know, just looking really happy. And in the bowl, yeah, cave, enjoying they, life. They're just they've set up rabbit swings and rabbit parties, and then and oh. then in comes Kissinger. <laughs> 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 all the rabbits look up and stare. They all start backing away to the door. I like uh, the idea that it, with Kissinger, he's a bit like Dracula. He moves, but his shadow stays and his bit, you know, his shadow does his own thing. <laughs> yes, that's what happens. Uh, now, when, when I'm talking about Nixon's decisions on Vietnam in this episode, uh, assume I'm talking about Kissinger as well, unless I say otherwise. Uh, the two of them were very close and in step most of the time with Vietnam. Anyway, step one of the plan, like I say, stall the North. Might just stop them from being successful for a while. Now, the best way to do this, they figure, is to bomb them. Hey! Hey! So exactly what Johnson was doing. But no, no, there's yeah. more to the plan. There's more to the plan. They're not just going to carry on doing what they did before. That way is the definition of madness, isn't it? No. We will uh, use more bombs. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're going to use more bombs. And not just more bombs. Uh, we're going to drop more bombs and we're also going to neutral Cambodia as well. Oh, splendid. Yeah, because the North Vietnamese were not honouring the borders and had men and equipment in Cambodia. So we're just going to bomb those in Cambodia. I mean, after all, that's a bit like bombing France in 1944, they said. It's like, we weren't bombing France at the time. We were bombing the invaders who happened to be in France. What's their I argument? See, I yeah? see the argument he's making. Yeah, it is a it's a sensible argument to make. However, but France at the time was occupied completely. Cambodia yes, isn't. Exactly. <laughs> I'll quote Nixon here. We bombed the hell out of those sanctuaries. I'd like to think he put both feet upon his desk at the time. Just gives a little wink. Hands on his head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, however. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. rather than destroy the camps, uh, this just pushes the North Vietnamese further into Cambodia. Uh, and it also created resentment against the United States in Cambodia, leading to a revolting oh. communist faction within the country taking over the country. Now, this is stupidly simplified because this is very complex, but effectively, yeah. this is a major contributing factor to the rise of Pol Pot and the Cambodian genocide. So, Fantastic. yay. Now, just as the United States did not want to get dragged into another war in the area... I don't want to get dragged into explaining it. Uh, so I'm going to do what the administration did and just kind of wash my hands of that. Now, to be fair, yes, I'm being slightly flippant here. The United States government didn't wash their hands at this point. They did go and invade at one point. The difference here, of course, is the uh, the administration doing nothing helped lead up to 2 million deaths. Uh, me not going into this just means that our listeners, if you want to know more about Cambodia and what happened there, uh, you're going to have to look it up yourselves. We don't have time in this episode. Just know, not good, I think, is how or, you can sum up. They, yeah, or they can listen to our sister one, Totas, uh, Cambodia, Totas Ranking. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah it was, uh, a new one came out just this week, if you're listening. Mm -hmm. uh, who's who's doing that? It's uh, Jeff, uh, not Jeff and Sound Guy, isn't it? <laughs> Jeff yeah. and Sound Guy. Yeah, no, it's good. It's going to be good. Yeah, check that one out. Um, anyway. So let's focus on Vietnam, but just know all that's happening in the background as well, and that's also a mess. So Nixon's thinking this will hold back the North. So now let's start making the South stronger. So how do we make the South stronger? Give them weapons or build a wall. <laughs> well, um, actually, the wall had been suggested at one point, and then it was just like, no, that's a stupid idea. It would never work. <laughs> Why the hell would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, giving them weapons is what they've been doing for ages, and fighting for them, in fact. No, Nixon decides a new tact to make the South stronger. He announced that they were Sharks. no longer going to fight for a country that would not fight for itself, and stated that the United States would no longer fight on the front line unless the South Vietnamese did. So in other words, tough talk, tough love. It's like, we will no longer fight in this country unless you have just as many men on the front line as we do. But don't you think they were kind of going, but we we, we, we have we have been. Oh, uh, well. We I have mean, been. And there aren't as many of us as there are you. Yeah, yeah no, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, they've been Come fighting. On, there's uh, but there's yeah, five they, of us in the entire army. Come on, they, Nixon. They simply did not have the resources. The South is too weak. It's not about plucky mm. spirit. It's about cold hard facts of numbers they do not have the strength but still nixon's going now pull your bootstraps up uh, mm. anyway the plan was slowly to replace those who were fighting on the front line with vietnamese soldiers uh, this was called the vietnamese vietnamization policy we're going to vietnamize the front line so uh, can i suggest an easier code name to say because I, I can't let's call it the v policy please <laughs> No, it's the Vietnamization. It's that one, and we're sticking with it. <laughs> anyway, advisors in the United States military had bad news for Nixon, however. I still haven't got the fireplace sorted, sir. <laughs> but the problem is, if we do what you're suggesting, uh, the South will fall. They are not strong enough. This is kind of why we're here in the first place. If the South was strong enough to fight the North alone, we wouldn't be here. Is Nixon going to use his excuse to leave, though? And then just... uh, well, we will see. It was becoming very clear that stalling the North was not working, despite using more than three times the bombs used in all of World War II. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's insane. They threw a lot at Vietnam. 
Yeah. So yeah, like, it just wasn't working. Strangely, every time they kept bombing the country, the country just got more and more angry at the United States and got more and more recruits. But why? Oh, I don't know. How? Uh, as for building up the South, uh, no, also not working. Uh, and more Americans were being drafted. Nixon said he would stop the draft, but he just couldn't at this moment because it just wasn't Too working. Too many of them are dying. Yeah, Nixon yeah. was waking up to the realities that he was stuck in a war that most of the country hated and had no easy answers. It turned out the reason why Johnson was stuck in this war was not because Johnson was lazy or idiotic. It's because it was a quagmire of awfulness. That's not to say Johnson didn't make mistakes, as we covered in his episode, yeah. but this uh, bravado Nixon had going in that, oh, well, I hear be able to sort it, was definitely misplaced. This is going to be tricky to get out of whoever you are. But don't worry. There is hope. The chief of staffs come along. They have with them Operation Duck Hook. Oh. <laughs> I, I, do you think Nixon had the same reaction as me? Op, what? What? I think Lionel did. I think Lionel just raised one little lemony eyebrow and uh, no one noticed. <laughs> uh, I think Nixon was just like, uh, anything, anything. Come on, duck hook, you say? Why not? Well, let's hook a duck. Duck me up. What? What? What is this? How about we, said the Pentagon. Do you want to hazard a guess? I don't know. I literally don't know. I can't think of anything <laughs> stupid or... How about we bomb Hanoi some more? Genius! <laughs> Absolute genius! This is revolutionary! <laughs> yes! Let's just bomb it more! That'll work! Remind me how long Operation Duck Hook was in planning for? Uh, yeah. Oh, about three okay. or four minutes. But no, no, no don't worry, don't worry. There is more to it than that. We're going to just... bigger bombs! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of just... <laughs> Oh my goodness. They weren't just going to bomb Hanoi some more. They were going to target the North's method for transporting food. They were going to try and cripple their infrastructure uh, as well. Ah. Uh, so there was, again, being flippant, there was actually more to it than that. But yeah, it was mostly let's bomb some more because here's where it gets fun. We could use some of those nukes that we've got stockpiling up. Oh, oh you look a bit oh. scared there. Don't worry. Tactical ones. <laughs> Yeah, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds, sounds so much better, doesn't it? I I made this flippant joke uh, uh, before in an episode, and someone did comment that actually there is a difference between strategic and tactical nukes. And yes, there is. Strategic nukes are the big ones that you drop on enemies' homelands, think uh, Hiroshima. Tactical the only nukes, two that have happened, yeah. Yeah, the tactical nukes are smaller and meant to be uh, exploded in the field when your men will be roughly in that area, but not too close. So they are basically right, so small Lethal nukes. dose of radiation, but won't get vaporised. Yeah, well, okay. in, unless you're cool. close, in which case you're very much getting vaporised. They are just smaller nukes, but let's not lose sight of the fact <laughs> that they are nukes. <laughs> yes. I mean, small is... It's relative. Like, there's, there's like a... Yeah. You could you could say our sun is also very small compared to Canis Majoris. Yeah. But yes. it's still the sun's very big. Yeah. You wouldn't fly um, into it. Just the sheer political uh, ramifications of using a nuke as well. It's, it's just, yeah. Anyway, they weren't idiots, the Pentagon, obviously. They realised that if they started using nukes, uh, the Soviets and China weren't going to be happy. So to preempt that, what they were going to do is put all of their nuclear arsenal on high alert. Oh, brilliant. Perfect. Escalate. Wonderful. Yes, uh, escalate when no one else is pushing. We will just 
ramp up the escalation as much as possible. Let's do that. Fortunately, Nixon, uh, you can criticise him for many things, and we will be this mm. episode, but uh, he wasn't insane and didn't go for this. Uh, but it is scary that we are now firmly in the 70s and the US military are still at first opportunity just going, can we use our nukes? Can we use our nukes? Can we use our nukes? Oh, please, 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 yeah. please. So instead, Nixon appealed to the public in what became known as the silent majority speech. He said to the country, and I'm hugely paraphrasing here, look, I know we don't like the war. You don't like the war. I don't like the war. But it is our duty to our allies to stop this war peacefully and not lose. And the only way the most powerful nation on earth can possibly lose this war is if internal problems make it too hard to win. So just give me a bit more time. If we unite as a country, this will be easy. And that speech worked. Mm. Because there is some common sense there. If we all pull together, we'll be able to pull out of Vietnam quicker. Mm. Okay, think the public? You've just been elected in, you're in your honeymoon period. Okay, we'll give you a chance. We'll give you a chance. For a time, it works anyway. Uh, The casual rate is falling, Nixon. Bit of breathing room here. But as you can imagine, only for a while. Meanwhile, let's move away from Vietnam for a bit. Internal issues were ticking along in the background. Nixon had made it very clear to his advisors right at the start of his presidency, I don't care about the internal stuff. This country, the internal stuff could be ran by my cabinet and Congress. I'll deal with foreign affairs. That was just the way he saw the presidency. Which Fair kind enough. of makes sense. I mean, well, he's the a president, figurehead, so yeah, yeah. The the president is much easier able to deal with foreign affairs and internal things, and the way the country was set up, yeah, Congress should be dealing yeah. with the laws, and his cabinet should be administrating it. So, yeah, fair enough. So he was fairly hands off with internal stuff, which is why we're not going to talk about too much internal stuff this episode. But a couple of things to note. He did get interested with internal affairs when he saw that it would benefit him politically. Because he would use it as political capital to do more for foreign affairs, which makes sense. So, for example, he was no fan of the New Deal or the Great Society, obviously. These were massive massive democratic pushes. But he also knew that they were very popular. Uh, So he wasn't going to waste capital on fighting them. And if things came to him that were seen as liberal but popular, he quite often went, well, why not then? He was no idealist. That's when good. Plan- that's, that's more like will of the people rather than yeah, my yeah. will or my my thinking. Is yes, correct. exactly. It's uh, it's well, people want it, so. com- comes out quite well here. For example, when plans for an extensive welfare reform came to him, and this plan to exchange, interestingly, two weeks of the gross national product of the United States, the plan was to get that two weeks, and with that, they would eliminate all family poverty for everyone in the entire country. Just for two weeks. weeks profit. Nixon was quite impressed by that. So, seriously, what, like just two weeks profit and will make pretty much everyone in the country love me because no one's poor anymore. Yeah, go on then. Now, one of his aides pointed out, that, hang on, no, this, this is not our conservative philosophy. We're Republicans. This is, this is not what we believe in. <laughs> Why this should is, we help people? Yeah, this is hands out. This sounds like socialism. Uh, another aide just laughed and said, don't you realise the president doesn't have a philosophy? So, yeah. Uh, the family assistance plan eventually was shot down in the Senate. The liberal wings of the parties felt it was too stingy, didn't go far enough. The conservative wings thought it was too generous. So a popular bill that would have helped out millions dies in the Senate. Never mind. Oh, well, eh? But still, they got their two weeks profit, so I'm sure they spent it on bombs. So that's good. Yeah. 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 
It is interesting to see, however, that uh, a president many consider to be the birth of the modern GOP was more than happy to enact sweeping welfare reforms if it helped him politically. Yeah, to help him politically. (laughs) Yeah, which incidentally is also why some people don't see him as the birth of the modern GOP. They see Reagan. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, But uh, some people do point to Nixon. Anyway, another example of going for some popular internal wins. When polls showed that the public were worried about the influx of drugs into the country, Nixon declared war on drugs. (laughs) Heard that before. (laughs) Yes, well, but they hadn't at this point. It's a popular move. It sounded tough, didn't it? He was going to fight the drugs and the drug dealers. But, and this is what's interesting, he was also going to fight addiction and poverty. Things that lead to drugs and continue drugs. Mm. Now, one part of this was to use methadone treatment centres in DC to help people kick heroin. That's in fact, now, this initial war on drugs didn't really look like anything that it morphed into, uh, but that's for a future episode. When people talk about the war on drugs with just dismay in their voice nowadays, it's not Nixon's war of drugs they're talking about, but this is the seed. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, it's between. Uh, but we'll come to it. But just know yeah. it, it started. The the idea of declaring war on something has started. Mm. Yeah. Now, around this time, also, a major landmark case hit the Supreme Court. This isn't hugely relevant to Nixon, but it is hugely relevant to us right now. It's very depressing, so I'm fitting it in. Because it's around this time that Roe v. Wade hit the Supreme Court. Oh! Yes, a woman's right to have an abortion was ruled on. It concluded that under the right of privacy, women's rights to an abortion was held up by the Constitution. Overnight, countless women's lives were saved. Just generally, uh, the healthcare of humanity went up a notch. Generally, things were better. Was this a federal law? Yeah, this is federal, according... Yeah, it's like, that's it. Every state now has to provide abortions. Now, many states went on to do the very bare minimum to the point where it was essentially impossible to get an abortion. But that's it. It's now federally... You've got to provide it. Now, Nixon, that's nothing to do with this, like I say, so I'm not going to get too sidetracked, but he did have some thoughts. Mm. Mm. To begin with, in Nixon's first term, like we're covering here, uh, abortion, along with gun rights, interestingly, neither a big thing for the Republicans. The whole Second Amendment thing, the whole abortion thing, Republicans didn't really care about these things at this time. But this is the birth of it. It's all about to start. And these are going to become two pillars of Republican ideology. Now, as the debate on abortion started up, Nixon's opinion was to keep out of it, keep it out of national politics. In fact, I quote him here, get the hell off it, just say it's a state matter, and get the hell off it. Like, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with this. This is a mess. Well, yeah, that's also a more conservative thing to think. It's like, it's your own state choice. Yeah, exactly. So that was his thought. Uh, One time, however, when he discussed it with an aide, Nixon admitted that there obviously were times that an abortion was necessary. Do you want to hear one of the most horrible quotes that we're going to hear today? Uh, Yeah, for historical reasons, yes. Yeah. Uh, So when did Nixon think abortion was necessary? I will quote here. Oh. He's talking to someone else. Well, I know you know, between a black and a white. Ah. Yeah, you weren't expecting that, weren't you? I was thought he was going to say something he'd done. Yeah, you you knew it was going to be bad, but you weren't expecting that. His uh, His aide replied, or rape. And Nixon replied back, 
Or rape, you know what I mean. There are times. Mm. Yeah. You remember last episode when I said Nixon wasn't particularly actively racist, as in he didn't go after civil rights and the like. Last well, taking um, a left turn, isn't it? Yeah, well, this proves that he's either changed his views as he aged, or he was now more willing to act upon those views he only privately aired previously. Likely a bit of both, uh, but he is definitely getting more extreme as he ages. Apparently people do get more conservative as you age. Well, yeah, exactly. Because there were uh, obvious, that we covered last time, there were were signs that he just wasn't hugely racist for his time. But then you see things like this and go, oh, wow, yes. yeah, not good. Um, anyway, things then get worse. Uh, apart from frequent rants about Jews, Blacks, Irish, Mexicans oh. in the Oval Office. Sorry, to be clear, he was ranting in the Oval Office about Jews, Blacks, Irish, and Mexicans, not ranting about Jews, Blacks, Irish, and Mexicans being in the Oval Office. Although that perhaps would have been a good thing. Maybe yeah. it would have given him some perspective. Those rants happen a lot. Uh, he then starts thinking about acting against some of the progress made in the civil rights recently. So he, he does start to turn. Uh, he's no longer that person he was. He writes a memo saying, Segregated white education is probably superior to education where there's too great a degree of integration of inferior black students with white students. No. Mm, yeah. He's a bad man. Yeah, pan over to Lionel. Little, little lemony tear just going down his eye there. What what has happened to his Richard? That's not how he brought him up. Anyway, this said, Nixon soon stated publicly that the Supreme Court had ruled for integration and it was the law and it would be upheld. So he wasn't actually going to actively fight it, but he didn't think it was good. He spent time, money and effort meeting with leaders of local communities in the South to ensure that another little rock didn't happen when the schools down there integrated. So he also actively tried to help integration. (laughs) He did. But you you also weigh it up with the fact that he didn't want to do it. It's it's such a shame because he is actually doing things to help, but reluctantly. He's doing it because he knows that it would be damaging him not to. Again, it's the political thing rather than the moral thing. Yeah. And also the feeling in the country was kind of shifting. The positive civil rights movement birthed in the newsreels of black girls being beaten in Birmingham and Martin Luther King talking of dreams. This was starting to to ebb away. The general public stopped seeing this as a a fight of this oppressed people. Uh, and newsreels started showing more and more things like the Black Panthers with their guns and militant black <laughs> power. Uh, yeah. The people who were on the fence about civil rights, who not long ago were going, well, of course, civil rights, everyone deserves to be equal, but not committing too much, were now thinking, well, they got their civil rights, didn't they? We should all move on now. There is no racism anymore because the Civil Rights Act happened. And support, yeah, support for a racially equal country uh, actually started to to ebb away. Now, those who really were supporting and advocating for racial equality knew there's a huge amount of work still to be done, and they were angered by this relatively swift drop in support. But there's very little they can do. And as racial tensions yet again start to escalate, the Nixon administration saw an opportunity. <laughs> a memo from one of the aides, was passed to the president with the following words written on the envelope. Oh. Okay? So, just imagine. 
picture of the Oval Office. It's completely empty. Someone comes in and just puts this memo in an envelope on the desk. There's no one in there but Lionel looking at the envelope. Yeah. And it says, caution, danger. With the respect to the calculated polarization described in this paper, absolute security cannot be overstated. There would be no way of calculating the damage to the administration. In other words, no one can see what's in here. It would destroy us. So the kind of memo you want to get on a Monday morning when you walk into work. And slightly hungover. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know what's inside? Yeah. (laughs) You don't, do you? (laughs) It was a suggested plan of action to gain voters. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Now, as we've seen, with the New Deal, Great Society, the Civil Rights Act, the Democrats had torn themselves into and reshaped into a different party. Yeah. Not a completely different party, but it definitely did not look like it did a hundred years ago. Mm. Unrecognisable, in fact. Now, the Republicans saw a way to capitalise on this. The memo suggested that the president starts spreading this message. And now I'm going to actually quote it. Today, racial minorities are saying that you can't make it in America. What they really mean is that they refuse to start at the bottom of the ladder the way you did. They want to surpass you, and they want it handed to them. You worked all the hard jobs to get where you are. Let them do it too. So I guess they're trying to slander... Black people, Mexican people, Irish people, Jewish people with the idea of socialism and... Yeah, in other words, the idea is very simple. What we should do as Republicans to get more votes right now is start appealing to the racist faction that have just abandoned the Democrats. There is this massive voting block in the South who just voted for a third party. Let's get them before the Democrats try to pull them back. Well, I can say right here, right now, I don't think it'll ever happen. (laughs) Now, this is known as the Southern Strategy, and it's now underway. Oh. So, there you go. Oh, I've said it a couple of times before. It's like this is the pivot point where um, the, the yeah. parties swap, but this is yet another one where it's clear. That it's like, <laughs> it's yeah. A lot of pivots. Yeah. The Southern faction have left the Dems. They are now going to the Republicans. So, there you go. Anyway, so that's fun. Uh, the war's continuing, by the way, talking of fun things. Yeah, still creating problems. Uh, Nixon's speech to appeal to the public had worked for a time, but not long. It looked increasingly like the United States' attempt to end the war was actually just spreading it to other countries, like Laos and Cambodia. More riots erupted. In Ohio, the National Guard were called in to quell an anti-war demonstration at a university. Things got nasty, and four students were shot dead. Bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, Nixon was appalled, apparently. Uh, He wrote down that he could not get the images out of his head. Uh, It really physically affected him. Uh, But you wouldn't have known it if you remembered the public, um, because publicly, all he said was this, when dissent turns to violence, it leads to tragedy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Didn't go down that well with many, as you can imagine. Oh, no. Especially the parents. No. Anyway, Nixon's very stressed at this point. Nothing seems to be going quite how he wanted it to go. He increasingly turns to drink. uh, And it would appear from what I've read that it wasn't so much that Nixon drank more than any of the other presidents recently. Eisenhower, Truman, Kennedy, Johnson, they all enjoyed their whiskey, their daiquiris, their martinis. Uh, But apparently Nixon was just someone who didn't handle his drink well. After one drink, he started to mumble. And after three, he just became downright drunk and paranoid. Uh, One aide later said, and I quote, 
There are things I'm not even going to discuss that were said, but they were a result of drinking. So we don't want to know. No. <laughs> we don't want to know. At least on one occasion, he was unable to talk to the Prime Minister of Britain because Kissinger deemed him to be too drunk. So that's not great. Oh, and on top of the booze was the sleeping pills. Uh, the stress led to sleepless nights, and the pills helped somewhat, but made the effects to the drink worse. So, yeah. His mood was not improved when the midterms did not go well. His approval ratings were in free fall. So he decided to put back in place the recording equipment. Why? Again, I'm guessing puzzled look on Lionel's face at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, he took it out, going, no, I don't want people listening to what I'm saying. Well, now he does. He wants people to listen to what he's saying. He feared that people in the future, historians, would look at his record and go, oh, he was useless, wasn't he? He wanted people to hear exactly what he was saying, the tough decisions he needed to make, the minutiae, the details. And then he would be remembered better. If only people in the future could hear exactly what he said, we'd all like him, he thought. <laughs> <laughs> And because yeah. of this, we get a sense of his mental state, because uh, from now on, we, we get pretty much all the conversations that happened in the Oval Office, because it wasn't a switch anymore, it was noise activated. The moment someone spoke, it automatically recorded. That's very high-tech for the 70s. Oh, they loved their high-tech stuff in the 70s. <gasps> did you have a clapper light? Like... Oh, they did. They did. Yeah. Uh, Another side effect of not having a switch to turn on and off your recording equipment is obviously you kind of forget it's there. Oh. Nixon didn't see it. Had nothing to do with it. I mean, he installed it, but after that, there was a technician in the basement who just changed the tapes and stored them away. Anyway, uh, because of this, like I say, we get a sense of his mental state soon afterwards when he said to an aide, Politics over the next two years is not a question of bringing in the blacks, the liberal senators, and making them feel wanted. It's going to be cold steel. So he's going to war against those that he has decided have not supported him. Not long after this, his daughter gets married. That's nice. Has a wedding in the White House, in the oh, Rose Garden. Nice. That's nice. nice. We get to hear about what he was talking about in the Oval Office just before. I say talk. <laughs> let's instead say rant. He ranted about long-haired, dirty-looking protesters, the Eastern Establishment, feminists, teacher unions, Jews, who at this point he described as a vicious bunch, black people, the Ivy League, he called them softies, and the press, who were referred to as a lousy, dirty bunch of <laughs> He put the recording equipment in, so we go, what a good guy. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he's starting to make those kind of comments about Jewish people, you're on the way to the Hitler. <laughs> yeah, it's not good, is it? Mm. Um, anyway, despite all this, there was actually some hope in Nixon's mind because him and his aides have been thrashing about some ideas. How can they turn the next two years around? They've got a three-point plan. They could achieve these three things. They figure re-election would be certain. Number one, get out of Vietnam. Yes. Or at least make it look like it's inevitable now, even if yeah. we're not fully out. Yeah. And in fact, they'd already started along these lines. Some secret talks with North Vietnam had started. Seemed possible, but maybe this could happen. We'll, we'll see. Anyway, number two, make a deal with Russia to reduce the arms race, or to slow down the arms race, reduce the number of nuclear weapons. Hmm. Again, there's actually some movement in this. 
There were, again, secret back-channel talks with Russia about limiting their arsenals known as SALT, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yes, big, big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then number three, China. China's our enemy at the moment, but if we can turn them into our ally, well, we can probably stop with all these tiny little proxy wars in Asia because we'll have one of the big players in Asia and it just will be a lot easier to deal yeah. with. And then also Russia will be a lot weaker. So there we go. Number one, get out of Vietnam. Number two, make a deal with Russia. Number three, become allies with one of our enemies. Easy. Yeah? Yeah, it's just <laughs> Got like... two years to do this. It's like no problem. your house, just tick them off a list yeah. as you do. So. The irritating thing for Nixon was this this would go down hugely well with the public, um, but he wasn't allowed to talk about any of them because they were all very secretive. Yeah. Yeah. So he's there. He's got, I'm doing stuff. I'm doing a plan, but no one knows about it. And they all hate me. It didn't help his stress. Uh, he was being battered in the press uh, and he couldn't share what he thought he was actually doing well. And then things get even worse because a 7,000-page study into the war in Vietnam, which was written for the government by the government. A thousand pages? 7,000 pages. 7,000 pages? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oof. This report had been commissioned by the government so the government could read it, so they had a full real understanding of what happened in Vietnam, what was going on in one place. Yeah. You just, you need to keep a record. Yeah. Okay. This whole thing was leaked to the press. Ooh. Ooh, yes. Suddenly everyone could see in black and white what most suspected, but now everyone knew. Successive administrations had been lying to the United States people continuously about its involvement in Vietnam. Ah. From Eisenhower actively working against the Geneva Accords, Kennedy knowing about the 1963 coup in South Vietnam, Johnson expanding the war when publicly saying he wasn't, to Nixon's full involvement in Cambodia. No one was getting off lightly here, Republicans or Democrats, although arguably the Democrats got it worse. And there were some close to Nixon who were saying, just, just wash your hands off it and hope the mud sticks to the Democrats and not us. On top of this, uh, a memo was included from the Department of Defense that admitted that continuing the war in Vietnam was 70% to avoid a humiliating defeat and only 10% to help the people of South Vietnam. So there goes all of the government lines of saying, we're doing this for the South Vietnamese people. It's like, well, no, you're not. You're admitting that to yourself. Yeah. yeah. So Nixon and his aides, instead of deciding to just hope it falls on Johnson and Kennedy more than him, they decide to fight it. They told the Times that they would be prosecuted under the Espionage Act if they continued to publish the report. But the Times just ignored this. <laughs> no, you won't. And all the other newspapers rallied around the Times. It's like, no, you won't. The Supreme Court were then very quickly involved and they handed Nixon a humiliating defeat. No, they won't. Freedom of press means just that. You can't tell them what to print. A major anti-war protest then took place in Washington, and now, by this point, it's not just the long-haired hippies anymore. Their flowers and their talks of peace and their excellent, excellent music. <laughs> These were now veterans from the war who would come back, letting yeah. people know it is awful over there. What are we doing this for? The response to the protests was to make illegal mass arrests and then just pen people up didn't go down well. Could have been worse, however. The tapes show that Nixon 
at first wanted to hire Teamsters to go and, and I quote, beat the shit out of some people. <laughs> uh, Nixon was talked down at this point. Good. But he wasn't going to be talked down over going after someone for the leaked Pentagon papers. That's what these papers were called. Now, the leaker was a man named Alsberg. He was a graduate of Harvard and a defense scholar who had helped shape the strategy in Vietnam during the Kennedy and Johnson years. He knew what he was talking about. He had been approached to write parts of the report, and he was fed up with all the lies behind the war. So he just decided to leak the report. Nixon was going to go after him and go after him hard. Someone had to pay for this. And he was in no mood to be nice about it. He asked a couple of trusted advisors who worked with him and Kissinger to create an anti-leaking department. He hates the leakers. Here's a wad of cash and some high-tech toys that we've loaned off the CIA. Uh, Yes, we have signed them out. And yes, we do need to give them back. (laughs) The couple of advisors were soon joined by an ex-FBI agent and an ex-CIA agent. These were two men who were seen as tough. They could get things done, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. The top-secret group were officially known as the Special Investigative Unit. But when one of them went home and his grandmother asked what he was doing in his new job, and the guy replied he was stopping leaks in the White House, the grandmother replied, ah, you are a plumber then. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, nice. Wad and granny. And the group liked the name. They even put a sign up on their office door that said the plumbers. Well done, <laughs> top secret group that no one's supposed to know about. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of shows how inept these people were, by the way. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, I, this, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pointed out that maybe top secret groups shouldn't like have their own office with a name on it. Uh, so the sign no. came down. But the name stuck. Anyway, they were given free reign. Discredit Augsburg. That is your one job. Make him seem crazy. Do whatever you need to do. Make him go away. Oh, God, no, not like that. No. Or m- maybe like that? No, no, no. No. That's, your I discretion. It, your discretion. Yeah, yeah. Decide. <laughs> make, him, make him comfortable. Yeah. Take him out to, to dinner. To, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Shh. Shh. Just silence him. Yeah, it, it's oh, it's all very messy. Uh, anyway, the plan was soon cooked up. The plumbers were going to go to LA, pretend to be the CIA, which is easy enough. They had connections to CIA. They had CIA equipment. And then they were going to... <laughs> all break... their equipment had CIA printed. Yeah, on yeah, exactly. They broke into Augsburg's doctor's office. They were going to break into the office and steal some files that proved that Augsburg was, uh, I don't know, medically insane or something. There was a flaw in this genius plan. Um, Augsburg wasn't medically insane. <laughs> no. I, no. Uh, so the incriminating evidence they were looking for just simply wasn't there. Um, and also they weren't subtle. Like I say, the, the equipment was from the CIA. The camera they took was from the CIA. And uh, obviously what you do when you're on a top secret mission and you're going out and you're breaking into an office is you stop for selfies. Oh, of course. How are you ask you're going to remember How? it? Or, or anyone else knows that you were there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you say to someone, yeah, uh, we uh, broke into the doctor's office of uh, Augsburg last night, and someone says, Pixar, it didn't happen. Well, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? What are you going to exactly. do? So obviously, obviously. You don't want to be seen as a liar. But they weren't idiots. If you're taking photos of yourself there, you're, you're not going to just go to the local photo shop and get them developed. It's a CIA camera. So what are you going to do? Get the CIA to develop. You, you get the CIA to develop. Them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> of course, that's the logical step. Yeah. 
<laughs> which the CIA do, and they give the photos back. And we've got a few I questions. They did. They may have kept a copy or two and just put it in a folder, probably labelled "accidents waiting to happen." <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. This gets back to the aides of the president. Uh, they were appalled. Like, what, what do you mean you went down there and like you smashed your way into an office, made it look like a burglary, didn't manage to find anything, and now the CIA know exactly what you did? What We thought you were going to bribe a nurse or something to see if she could give you some information. What the hell is this? Yeah. Have you been watching too much James Bond? What's going on? Because I can tell you, you are not James Bond. <laughs> Definitely not. He would uh, not do this. No. So, right, okay, this is dangerous, they thought. These these guys are not quite the uh, the smooth operators we thought they were. We need to distance them from the president. And we're keeping them along. We don't want to annoy them. And they might be useful. But, no. Really? <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> but we'll just put them to the side. How about the re-election campaign? The campaign to re-elect the president. Or mm. the acronym, as it became known, CREEP. <laughs> Which is just brilliant. <laughs> that is wonderful. Campaign to re-elect. It'd be crep. <laughs> yeah, but crep doesn't sound as funny as creep, does it? Re-elect. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not great. It's not great, but it's 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 amusing. So why not? It sounds uh, yeah. more spy-like. Yeah, exactly. Creep. Yeah, creep. That's probably what they thought. They probably thought, oh, tiptoes, sunglasses. Not you, creepy, creepy. B-ts. Yeah. <laughs> Stop staring at me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Did you think when they were like doing whatever they did, they just hummed theme tunes? Pink Panther da, 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 music, Mission da, da, Impossible, da, da, obviously the da, da, James Bond da, da, theme, da, da, on a loop da, da, all the time. Yeah. Da, 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 da. They would sing they loudly as they went down the corridors. <laughs> With an orchestra behind <laughs> That's where most of their budget went. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so the plumbers end up in creep. Some distance between them and Nixon, they think. <laughs> uh, the plumbers, however, they weren't about to stop playing with their spy toys. They needed a reason to keep being funded. They didn't want to send the orchestra home. They'd only just got them. <laughs> That's like a two months' pay just to. Yeah, exactly. So they sat down and the plumbers created Operation Gemstone. Ooh, so that's better than Hooker Duck. Yeah, it's better than hook a duck. They're already doing better than the Pentagon. Gemstone would ensure that Nixon was nominated to run and then win the election. 100% guarantee. Nice. Sounds good, doesn't it? What I love about this is it's 100% legal as well. Well, It's the confidence I admire most. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We were unable to discredit one man, but we can do this. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Stop playing the trumpet, now's not the time. We're discussing strategy. <laughs> well, the chief operator of the plumbers, let me start introducing you to their names, shall I? The ex-FBI man who I mentioned before was named George Gordon Liddy. Uh, we're going to come across him quite a bit over this in the next episode. Liddy was, was chief plumber at this point. When Had his he... own wrench. <laughs> yeah. Said chief on it. He kept it above his desk. It was great. <laughs> uh, Liddy, by the way, was the kind of man who collected war memorabilia. Not, by the way... War memorabilia, but war memorabilia knowing look. Right. Yeah, he liked nothing more in an evening than arranging his swastikas and settling down with friends to watch Nazi propaganda films. All for history, of course. For history. Appreciating history. That's all it is. All it is. Yeah, oh, 
it's heritage or something or whatever we use to hide the fact that we're massive racists. Yeah. yeah. Ar- Aryan privilege. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. Anyway, Lydia said he's going to give a, a presentation on Operation Gemstone. He's going to try and sell it to get funding. And he's giving this presentation to the Attorney General and a couple of Nixon's top men. The Attorney General, of course, being the lead legal person for the United States of America, not meant to be working for Nixon. But we're, yeah. we're, we'll brush past that bit. Anyway, Liddy starts off. For $1 million, he says. I'm hugely paraphrasing here, but I, I, I'm not making up the fact that there were strobe lights and lasers, because obviously there were. And uh, flares, massive, flares. massive flares. Well, yeah, it's the 70s. It's, yeah. Yeah. Massive massage. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> Some soul and funk playing in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, for $1 million, he said, the plumbers will, for you, make sure Nixon is nominated and re-elected. How will we do this? Well, we will create havoc at the Democratic Convention and ensure the Republic one goes smoothly. You might be thinking, how are we going to do this? Well, yes. <laughs> to ruin the Democrats... We will use sex workers as honey traps, accrue photographs of Democrats in compromising positions, and blackmail them all. We will then tap their phones and steal all their documents and use this information to create said havoc by leaking the information to rival Democrats within the party. That's really brutal. Like, the difference between the US and, and, and Britain, even though I'm sure it's happened in Britain as well, but like we're going to hire sex workers and try and entice the opposition to sleep with them, to yeah. honey trap them. Yeah. UK give him a bacon sandwich <laughs> yeah, yeah take a different. dodgy photo isn't yeah. he a fool <laughs> uh this is only half of operation gemstone though half okay yes remember that's caused chaos in the democratic convention how do you right. make sure the republican one goes smoothly for nixon bouncers or select <laughs> your audience well sort of yes let's continue with the presentation to ensure the republican convention goes smoothly don't worry we've got something good for this said Liddy. We're going to hire men to kidnap radicals within the GOP and take them to Mexico for the duration of the convention. We'll sit on them and we'll only release them afterwards. They won't cause any trouble. I'm guessing at that point you get a big wink and a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really hoping, so I don't know if this is true, but everyone listening to this, mouth open, no! No, absolutely not! (laughs) I mean, I'm guessing Lionel's in this room at the back, just just <laughs> screaming internally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the presentation, you're spot on. <laughs> Apparently there was just a huge pause. And then the attorney general said, Gordon, that's not quite what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> just a few rumours. <laughs> Leak a few things to the newspaper, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're going to kidnap members of our own party. <laughs> And cross international borders. <laughs> wow. Uh, so obviously the Attorney General and Nixon's top aides say, no way, that's stupid. You're talking crazy. Never speak of this again. Oh, no, wait, no. They said, go away and see if you can make it cheaper. Re- really? Yeah. A million dollars is a bit too much. Uh, maybe maybe tone it down a little. Yeah, and also make it cheaper. <laughs> we'll give you 750 Yeah, uh, quite, quite seriously... Come back in a week with a better pitch, is what they said. It's like the dragon's den. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, Liddy came back a week later. How about, he said, half a million. We don't do the kidnapping or the honey traps. 
But we do all the wiretapping and we take all the illegal photos. Let's bug the hell out of those Dem Party leaders. So damn it, said Nixon's men. Fantastic. You can probably see where this is leading. Oh, um, I, I imagine it's mass <laughs> leading to a massive gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this Because I, I don't know much about Watergate. I know it was people snooping around trying to find stuff. That's all I know in a hotel. But this it, is insane. It, it could have been so, so much worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, is this a massive point in the US history? I mean, Watergate is, is huge. It's a household name. I mean, all scandals are named after it. So is this where a political party starts spying on another and this is a, a huge turn? Well, obviously not. We've seen it time and time again. Politics of the country can hardly be described as squeaky clean. There's been cheating, there's been spying and all sorts. But I think what this is, is a case of technology starting to provide opportunities that simply didn't exist before. Yes, it's the, it's the OG. It's like you weren't um, able to tap phones back in Washington's time. And back in Lincoln's time, I mean, you might have been able to kidnap someone, but getting them to Mexico would have been a pain. Yeah, it's like a four-month trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, by the time you get there, the Stockholm syndrome would have like, kicked <laughs> in, and then you'd all just be drinking tequila together, and then yeah. come back and form your own party. Yeah, so it just wouldn't work. Anyway, so there we go. We're just going to leave the plumbers there for now. Yeah, but they, they've got their plan ready. Meanwhile, things were finally starting to happen with part three of three of the plan. That member is China. Let's see yeah. if we can get China and make them an ally. Now, this was a few months before Operation Gemstone was discussed. I'm jumping around a little bit here. Uh, Henry Kissinger was walking through an airport when he was recognised by a British newspaper reporter. Well, nothing special or interesting there, you might think. Uh, but the reporter was shocked because everyone knew that Kissinger was really ill in Pakistan with a stomachache. could barely move. So what the hell is he doing walking through an airport? The reporter quickly filed a report with his editor, who simply didn't believe him. You must have seen someone else. Kissinger's not in an airport. Was it David Dimbleby? Uh, I'm just going to say yes. Yes, it was. Brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, the editor didn't believe him, uh, which is a shame, because if the editor did believe him, they would have really got quite the scoop, because it was Henry, uh, Henry Kissinger. Kissinger had faked his illness so he could secretly sneak into China and meet with the leaders there. Because him and Nixon had a plan. Kissinger was going to act as if Nixon was a bit of a madman who just as happily sided with China's rivals on a whim than China. And Kissinger was going to go over there and swear to them he was doing everything he could to keep Nixon on a leash. And you need to help me out here. Otherwise, this opportunity might fly away. Typical negotiation stuff. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So that that was their, their plan. Uh, it works really quite well. It's a frantic couple of days. But essentially, they agreed Nixon would be allowed to visit China and meet Chairman Mao in a few months' time. This was huge. No one knew yeah. about it at the time, but this is huge. The only thing the United States had to do was stop talking about Taiwan, how that was actually the Chinese government in exile. Kissinger and Nixon agreed. Taiwan simply was just no longer important. In fact, I'll quote Kissinger here. It's a heartbreaking thing. They're lovely people. Uh, and then Nixon replied, I hate to do it. I hate to do it. They have been my friends. Such a shame. And then they did it anyway. Yeah, they agreed with China. Fine, you guys are in charge. Now, Nixon and Mao had a few months to soften the public, their own countries, to the idea of the countries meeting each other and perhaps becoming friendly with each other. Uh, meanwhile, part two of the plan was also making some headway. This is the Arms Reduction Treaty with Russia, SALT. A Moscow summit 
was being discussed. Let's have a summit in Moscow to discuss the reduction of arms. That sounds like it's a good thing. However, there was a bit of a bit of a stick in the works for this one because once again proxy wars were popping up. And this time it's the war between India and Pakistan. We certainly don't have time to go into the ins and outs of the nope. Indo-Pakistani War of 71, but I'll sum up, shall I? Yeah. For the listeners' benefit, I'm sure you're all up to date with this war. Yeah. Well, I I I can imagine just suddenly ripping out a massive chunk of India after World War Two. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got it. You've got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's where yeah. we start. It's be great. We start with Britain saying, <laughs> Bye India, it's been lovely. It's been lovely like ruling you slash like ripping out all your resources and making ourselves rich. Bye. Yeah. Thanks oh, to colonialism. Oh, one thing before we leave, uh, pass that map. <laughs> um, yeah, this bit here, uh, just to be at the top left, uh, new country, Pakistan. Oh, and sorry, this bit on the top right as well, also Pakistan. Um, sorry? No. Both Pakistan? Yeah, both Pakistan. <laughs> miles and miles and miles and miles apart from each other. No, both Pakistan. Like different <laughs> ethnic groups, different histories. No. No. Bye, India. Bye, Pakistan. Enjoy. Have fun. You'll, you'll work it out. Yeah. And Britain left. Well done, Britain. Uh, now, the problem is you had India in the middle, you had Pakistan to the top left, you had other Pakistan to the top right, but let's start calling it Bangladesh because that's what it becomes. But Pakistan is in charge of it. Bangladesh starts uprising and India starts supporting Bangladesh's uprising. Pakistan are not happy about this. And obviously, because this is the Cold War, Russia and the United States take sides. Again, hugely simplified, but the United States were with Pakistan, keeping Bangladesh, and as were China, and the Soviets were working with India and the Bangladeshi people to have an uprising. Now, Kissinger yeah. in particular was not happy with how this war was going, because it looked like Bangladesh would indeed become independent, and he was not into yeah. this. It would weaken the United States' prestige in the area, it would weaken their work on becoming friends with China. After all, would China want to be their friend if they seemed weak? Can't be having that. So when reports start coming out of the area of the Pakistan-led genocide in Bangladesh, uh, the United States diplomats in the area wrote officially through the dissent channel to their own government saying, we're supporting the wrong guys here. The Pakistani government in the area are committing genocide. They're killing anyone who is the wrong race, religion, class, creed, anything. This is awful. We're on the wrong side. Nixon and Kissinger get this and go, nope, no, we're not. We're on the right side. We can't change our minds the, the russians wonderful thing yeah the <laughs> russians are supporting the bangladeshis so we can't yeah oh, for goodness sake yeah Funny common ground is quite useful sometimes oh well, no no um anyway india and obviously quietly russia in the background started to increase pressure on pakistan because india started to build up forces to go into bangladesh to help the bangladeshi uprising yeah Kissinger told Nixon that if Pakistan lost Bangladesh, then there'd be a domino effect. The Philippines and Iran would go red, the Soviets would dominate all of Asia, the world would end. Uh, the only answer was to scare the hell out of India to back down. So, yeah. Nixon agrees, let's do it. He phoned a Soviet minister and essentially said, I don't care what you say or how you're not involved officially. I know you're involved, you know you're involved. Pull back the Indian troops. 
or we go to war. United States versus Russia. Yeah. This is a huge, massive escalation. Almost to the degree of the Cuban (laughs) Missile Crisis. I I think escalation is a good good adjective. (laughs) This is massive escalation. He then sent a nuclear aircraft carrier to the Bay of Bengal. So he's putting nukes in the area, and he's telling Russia, this is war if you carry on. He then sends word to China. You know how we're meant to be friends now, or at least soon we will be? How about you send some of your troops south to scare India? Let's just keep putting the pressure on. It was then decided to illegally provide Pakistan with arms, and we've got another quote from a conversation between Nixon and Kissinger in the Oval Office here. Nixon said, is it really so much against our law? Kissinger replied, what's against our law is not what they do, but it's us giving them permission. Well, we'll give them permission privately. Kissinger said, that's right. And Nixon said, hell, we've done worse. And then they both turned to the camera and wink. Yeah. (laughs) In December of 71, the crisis peaks. China, agreeing with the US, did indeed start moving troops down. This is a massive gamble. I mean, we're not quite talking Cuban Missile Crisis here, but we're not far off. I mean, this is brink of nuclear war stuff. If China and India fight, Russia would side with India. Russia would start fighting with China. The United States would start fighting against Russia. Nukes go off World War III. In fact, Nixon asked Kissinger at this time whether it was time to, and I quote, start lobbing nuclear weapons in. Now, Kissinger grimly (laughs) agrees. Now, to be clear, Nixon wasn't saying, should we do this? It was a, is it going to be time to start lobbing nuclear weapons in? Kissinger grimly agrees, saying that, yeah, if Russia go in and they defeat China, and they've also got India on their side. Well, that's it. India, uh, Asia is completely communist. The United States have finished. We're going to have to go to nuclear war. Uh, this is the end of days. No, you're not. Because things change over hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. You see, the difference, the major difference I'm seeing between this and the Cuban Missile Crisis is uh, this was the United States just starting it out of pretty much nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the Cuban Missile Crisis was the Soviets starting it from pretty much nothing. Uh, Anyway, Nixon is heard to take a deep breath at this point, and then said, Russia and China are not going to go to war. And then Kissinger replies, I wouldn't bet on that, Mr. President. The Russians are not exactly rational when it comes to China. So um, all this is taking place in a very stressed White House. Nixon is increasingly getting drunk every single night and flying off the wall in fits of rage. He also starts telling others at this time that Kissinger needed psychiatric care because Kissinger's also losing it. He has several, and I quote, monumental tantrums at this time, ranting and raving using very sexist and racist language about India. Uh, I'm not going to repeat, uh, but that sums him up. However, long story short, or terrifyingly story short, (laughs) Steve, in the end, with the world on the brink of nuclear war once more, once more the countries step back from the abyss. After lots of secret chats, it was decided that Bangladesh would be liberated and become independent. India, however, Hmm. would not take over. And also, they would not invade Pakistan. We'll have three separate countries. Okay? And no one bombs each other. Everyone okay? That's a fair compromise. Right, everyone okay, says India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Russia, and the United States. Meanwhile, Britain's just going, lovely weather we're having, past the crumpets. 
Hope everything's <laughs> going well over in India. Anyway, Kiss and Joe and Nixon be fine. pat themselves on the back. Uh, they succeeded in scaring the other side down. They see this as a victory because they got what they want. You can see why they saw it as a victory. They just didn't dwell. And they prevented World War Three, so I guess it is a victory for the human race. Yes, well done them. Uh, they just didn't dwell too much on how much of a gamble it was, and also the fact that yeah. their victory was in support of an anti-democratic regime that was literally committing genocide. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. yeah. Ultimately, though, Nixon's self-proclaimed victory was not against Russia, but it was with China. This whole thing builds up trust between China and the United States. So that whole plan can continue. And then the trip to China takes place. Nixon meets Mao publicly. They chat for about an hour and they shake hands in public. This does more than any political chat in the background could happen. The whole world see it. Mm. There you go. The United States and China, they're no longer enemies. Forget the Korean War now. Forget all the, the proxy stuff that's been going on. Yeah, this is great. It's official. China got out of this uh, more security against India and Russia, the two major powers either side of them. They've got the United States with them now, sort of. I mean, they're not allies, but they're not enemies. Also, they got recognition over Taiwan for being the government of China. Uh, worldwide recognition now, everyone agrees, which is nice as long as you didn't live in Taiwan. Uh, and also, they got some intelligent reports from, on the Soviets, which is just a lovely little cherry on the cake. Here, have some intelligence. <laughs> Uh, Nixon also obviously gets something out of this for the United States. They get a strong potential ally against the Soviets. Uh, not been set up yet, but I mean, it's just a better place. And also Russia, now realizing they're in a weaker position, start taking more seriously the idea of this Moscow agreement and the salt talks. This is a huge, genuine victory for Nixon. Part three of the checklist is complete, and part two is looking closer than ever. The Russians are being forced into this. Yeah. Genuinely good stuff. However, he also wanted to work on part one at the same time and just get it all sorted in one go, which would have been amazing. Part one, of course, is to find a way out of Vietnam. He had less success there. China didn't want to look like they were abandoning any of their little communist allies, because that would lead to these smaller communist states turning to Russia and Russia becoming stronger because of it. So yeah. he didn't get quite what he wanted. However, China did confirm that, okay, if you guys want to pull out, we won't kind of jump on you whilst you do it. How about that? That's the best we can do. Uh, yeah. Which which is better than they had before. Russia also, realising they're in a weaker position at this point, agree as well. And okay, it looks like the United States now kind of have a path out the war, or at least the two major players that are stopping them have agreed they were allowed to leave. We won't make fun of you and beat you up whilst you go. Yeah. So all in all... Yeah. A good trip, or the week that changed the world, as it became to be known. Quite yeah. literally. <laughs> yeah, it, it genuinely, as much as we can criticise Nixon, and we have done a lot, there's mm -hmm. some good stuff done here. Yeah. Uh, Nixon was perpetually stressed the entire time, often drunk, frequently angry. <laughs> but for the moment, things are going well. Excellent. Just cut from the plane home from China, where Nixon finally has a little smile. Meanwhile, Liddy, <laughs> head of the plumbers is sat down at a table with some of his men and a quarter of a million budgets burning a hole in his pocket got hit down to a quarter of a million, not half a million. Yeah. Still, it's a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. You can't see what he's looking at, by the way. They're just standing around a table, but you can see Lionel in the corner on top of a wardrobe. He's just watching from the distance, his little lemony beard waving with worry. 
<laughs> because pan down and pan around so you can see the documents that Liddy is looking at. Because, of course, they are the photographs of the DNC headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. <gasps> and that's where we're leaving it today. Oh, so this is the Watergate gate. This is the Watergate gate. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh. So there we go. That's Nixon part two. How are you feeling? Um, I mean, it was kind of implied in the last episode that he wasn't that straight lace. And he, he sort of kept proving that again and again and again and again and again and again and again through the episode. Yeah. But, I mean, if you balance that with actually, he did make some good choices in terms of Eason's ability. Well, I've got stability. Eason, whatever, made good things. You can't criticise him on that. What I'm yes. most shocked at is the um is the parallels to Trump. Yes. I thought there were going yes. to be the obvious parallels to Trump. Oh, he gets impeached. Um, but just little things like, I've got a plan to get out of this war. No, I'm not gonna tell you. And just just confidence that he will be able to do things because of course he yeah. will, and then getting very frustrated when it turns out the reason why the other guy couldn't do it wasn't because they were stupid, it's because it was hard. There there are definite parallels there. Um, but it's saying it to Trump, I think that in fairness to Trump, that is something a lot of politicians do nowadays as well. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's well, you can't... trying to get its power. It's no matter yes. what happens, that's the I mean, goal. We we will we will talk uh, about Trump obviously in this episode, um, <laughs> but uh, but yes, uh, there are definitely parallels there. Um, yeah, he he is definitely worse than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, I thought it yeah, was the absolutely. Watergate thing that brought him down, but no, there were worse things that he did, or yeah. potentially worse things that he was going to do. But it's the Watergate thing that gets him in the end. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, well, there you go. Thank you very much for listening to part two. Part three will be out in two weeks' time. I can say confidently because I've written most of the next episode. Oh, uh, yes, because I it, it was when I realised that my word count was getting close to almost like fifty percent again of a normal episode, and I still had a lot more to write. It's like yeah. this is two episodes. <laughs> I can't kid myself anymore. Yeah. So um, yeah, that most of that is ready. So ready to go. Uh, so, yes, we will definitely be releasing the next one in two weeks' time, so we will get to see how Nixon fares, what happens in his second term. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if there's much to talk about. Oh, uh, I don't yeah. think so. So, just... thank you for listening, everyone. And, um, oh, yeah, you, it's the first time we've recorded since you went to America. You went to Louisiana, yeah. didn't you? Oh, Is it good? Bloody amazing. Honestly, it's absolutely fantastic. I would go back again. Uh, name three things that were the best, but you can only use one word with no context. Music, drink, bananas. Nice. Oh, I saw something really weird. I've got to add this in. Sorry. Okay, well, go you, on, I mean, go you can on. cut out if you want on it. No, no. Really. Uh, people have a skip button. They can skip if they're bored. That's true. Yeah. So, back in 1982. No, <laughs> um, it all started. <laughs> so, I uh, went to uh, the Death Museum. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known about it until someone I think recommended it on Twitter for me. It was great. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was, but thank you. But basically, it's like a thing of just death. So it starts off with like like schools and animal and taxidermy and stuff. Then it goes into people, and there's a photograph of uh, <laughs> oh, because because no, I'm I'm quite a, I don't, I'm not squeamish, but I don't like dead things. You know, so go <laughs> to the death weirdo. museum. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I'm so, so abnormal. But there was a 
a, a photograph of JFK oh, on, a, right. on a slab after he'd been assassinated. <sighs> and it was fascinating. Honestly, it was, it was weird because his eyes were open. Ooh. I know. Oh, and then someone stole his brain. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, but I saw photographs. There's a whole section about JFK. And it's just, it oh, wow. Genuinely okay. quite fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, nice. There's no aircon in it. The aircon had broken, so it's very hot in there. Oh, God. I thought, like, literally, every, I thought the streets were aircon in America. Oh, no, no, the streets aren't. But we, that's why you keep going. See, we learned the trick. You keep nipping into shops every five or 10 minutes so you can just, like, cool down. But, um,. <gasps> And this yeah, is that... why their capitalist economy is booming. Because exactly. everyone has to buy things to stay cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And live. And yeah. live. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, glad you had a good time. Yeah, it's great. Right. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't go to Louisiana. No. That's my contribution to this conversation of going oh. to New Orleans. I would love to go to New Orleans, though. Out of yeah. all the cities in America, that's the one I'd like to visit. Because it's just an exciting pirate haven of a city i might be thinking historically but um <laughs> in my head it's not changed right okay we should probably stop talking about new orleans uh, i think i've already said thank you for listening but you know what have another one thank you for listening listeners yeah thank you and thanks for downloading us on everywhere that you do and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye Okay, right. Well, this is uh, our third second meeting of the plumbers. Um, quick roll call here. Uh, Liddy, I'm here, obviously. Uh, Hunt? I'm here. Good, good. Uh, McCord? I'm here. Uh, Bond? Yes. Bond? Jimmy, have you said your name is Jimmy Bond? Yeah, what of it? Jimmy, your, your surname's Clifton. We all know it. Call me Bond. Clifton, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Good. Check. Reach. Seriously, who's been at my notes? Stevens. Yes. Billington. I'm here. Jack Danger. Mouse. Yes, I am here. And that is actually your name, isn't it? Indeed it is. Okay, right, well, we're all here. Obviously, we all know I need to go and present Operation Gemstone to the AG in half an hour. Now, I know we all agreed that we are going with the kidnap plan. But just before I pitch the kidnap idea, quick brainstorm, have we chosen the right thing here? No. Uh, 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 Clifton, you do not have the talking copper you bent. There you go. Yes, Clifton. No. What, what, what do you mean, no? You don't think we've done the right thing? No. Right, C- Clifton, if you go... their throats. Slit their throats and make them bleed to death. Clifton, 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 if what? you're going to do this, what? you're going to have to stop putting the voice on. We've talked about this. Normal voice, please. We're in a safe zone here. Okay, fine. Okay, right. Now, we've had a talk. We yes. can't just slit the throats of all Republicans who disagree with Nixon. But they're so abominable. They just I know, I know, I know. But who's going to clean <laughs> help up? Help me, Gerard, hold me. Who's going to clean up, Clifton? You never think this through, do you? No. Right, anyway, uh, Hunt, what do you think? I think we use one of the tactical nuclear missiles. It's always tactical nuclear, and- Hunt. 
Well, it works. It would work too well, wouldn't it, Hunt? It worked very well, exactly. Would, yes, now Hunt's the technical nuclear option obviously would destroy all dissenting GOP members, but it would also destroy us. Ah, but did I mention they were tactical? Like, almost you could you put it in your pocket. And yes, you yes, you did mention how tactical the nukes are. No, I definitely think... It's basically a, a firecracker. I mean, you just <laughs> let it go, bit of a bang, everyone's a bit startled, and then we go clap and go, hurrah, hurrah. Yes, no, I definitely don't think so. Right, anyone yeah. else? Anyone else? Right, uh, Reacher, I mean Perkins. Perkins, what do you think? Definitely kidnap? Well, I think we could kidnap a few of them. We could uh, tie them up, put them in bags, and then uh, throw them in the sea. In the sea? Perkins, yes. interesting. In yes. the sea, that way we wouldn't need to go to uh, to Mexico. Quicker. Exactly, yeah. Okay. A few bricks in there, they sing right down. Okay, I'll Get put it nibbled by the fish. It's I'll a bit put... like snorkelling. We could say they went snorkelling. Okay, Perkins, I like it. Are you getting this, Gerald, Hunt? Are you getting this? This is what we need. Yeah. We want, like, thinking outside the box. Yes, okay. Right, yeah. exactly. Right, okay. Um, so definitely yes on kidnap, but it's now just a question. Do we take them to Mexico for the convention or do we make them sleep with the fishes? Hands up for fish sleeping. Uh, what's, yes, okay. And hands up for Mexico. That's what Okay, that's a tie. It's a tie, so I suppose I'm going to have to call it. I have wanted to go to Mexico for a while, actually, uh, for a holiday. So I'm going to call it for taking them to Mexico. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I'm going to go and see the AG. I just hope we haven't toned it down too much. (laughs) 